Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Today, I'm going to get my scripture ready here. I want to speak on God's commanded blessing. God's commanded blessing. Where God commands the blessing. And so I sort of said, you know, write the command blessing. It is commanded blessing, but it's actually God's commanded blessing. And uh, we're going to start from Psalms 133. How does God command His blessing on His people? And how do, how do we come in line with God and we come in agreement with God? And we, we also speak blessing. Because when we speak blessing, we're coming in line with the way God does it. So we're going we're to go, today we're going to go for a lot of Scripture. So if you want to write down the Scripture, because sometimes we might not be able to read it, I might just quote it, um, or else we might be here too long. But we'll do our best to, if we're quoting it, I'll give you the scripture. You can look, at that, look it up at home, okay? Because you can get into the word yourself and get more out of it, okay? Get, get deeper meat out of it. So Psalms 133 is powerful. It's a good foundation. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. How beautiful it is for people to dwell together in unity. Now, when I think about unity God's way, the way God views unity is unity in our diversity. Humans or our natural thinking is oh, when there's unity, it's because we all um, think the same or act the same or talk the same. We are all the same. Uh, you know, that we think unity is only when we all come into agreement. No, unity is in our diversity. Unity is in our differences. It, it, God has unity in our diversity. How do we know that? Paul said it very clearly that um, just as your body is one unit but has many parts, has many fun- each part has a different function, so it is with Christ. So it's very, very clear. If you think about your kidneys, your lungs, your heart, your intestines, your nails, your eyebrow, your hair, your, your every part of your body, completely different from another part but has a different function, different design, different purpose, and the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't have need of you because you're not the eye. You're not doing what the eye, I can't get frustrated because I can't hear. The eye is never going to be able to hear no matter what you try to do. The eye is designed to see, the ear is designed to hear. And so it gives us a picture of unity. The body operates in unity. The, the way we find our unity is common purpose, common goal of loving God, preaching His gospel. It's the same mission, same mandate we all give ourselves to. That's the, what unifies us. What unifies us is our love for God and our love for each other. Not our, um, not, not trying to be the same. You will think different. You will act different. You will think of things differently. You'll process things differently. You won't even see eye to eye at times. And a lot of times, you, you, you'll clash with the way you see something. But you can still have unity, according to the Word of God. And unity is a powerful thing. When we understand it like that, it says, It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Again, picture a horn of oil, a big giant horn or a bucket of oil, pouring down a person. When it hits their head, it's going to smother every part of them right on their beard and, their, and on, their, on their garment. It, nothing, nothing escapes. And the oil represents the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Unity. The presence of God comes. I'm telling you. We're going we're gonna to see. The presence of God's already here strong. But we're going to see Him manifest even more. Even more, right? And in our, in our community, in our families, in our workplaces, everywhere. And um, this is how we release heaven everywhere we go. This is how we release blessing everywhere we go. It says, it is like the Jew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. Again, picture Jew. Jew coming down on a mountain, if it's going to hit this part of the grass, it's not, it's not going to hit this part and then miss that part. When Jew falls, it falls on everything. It smothers everything. It drenches everything. It soaks everything. Jew just gets on everything on a mountain. And it gives you a picture of the presence of God where there's unity. The presence is going to go. I'm telling you. Presence just comes. It says, for there, this is the whole point of what, there the Lord, where is there? Where there's unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God commands the blessing where there's unity, 
where there's in our diversity, the fact that we think different, act different, look different, different parts, different functions. You have different diversity of gifts and personalities and everything, but there's, God's going to bless the unity. Quickly go to Ephesians 4. We're going to get for a lot of scripture. And Ephesians 4, I love this. Now remember, Ephesians 4 is after Ephesians 3, isn't it? Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And if you know the summary of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it's all about who we are in Christ. It's all about our relationship with Him. And, and that's why it starts with, I therefore, now it goes into, because of all that we are in Christ, because of all that Christ did for us at the cross, because He raised us from the dead, we seated us in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. We have union with God, connection with God, intimacy with Jesus, because of this high calling. Look, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you to walk worthy of the high calling with which you were called. So okay, I just spoke about the high calling Paul's saying, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, but now I'm saying, look, walk worthy of it. So this, what we're talking about, what we're aiming for, we're talking about you can't do this if you don't have a reality of a new creation reality. If you didn't come to Christ, if you never put your faith in Jesus and you're still naturally minded and you're not born again, as the Bible says we should, it's impossible to do what I'm about to ask you to do. It's impossible to do what I believe the Word of God instructs us to do without God's power, without God's presence. People that are unregenerated have not been born again. That means their dead spirit been raised to life, resurrected, and now the Holy Spirit lives in them, and they're seated in heavenly places and have an intimate relationship with God, and they have access to God's presence. When you have access to God's presence and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you can live this way. It's the only way you're going to do it. It's the only way I'm going to do it. I cannot do this without God. Living in a commanded blessing everywhere we go. It's impossible. But here it says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness. Ah, that beautiful word. Some people translate it as with all humility. Humility is a beautiful thing. Because pride, the Bible says God resists pride. And, And so do we. We resist pride. And it stinks to God. Humility. With all humility, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, what does it say? Bearing with one another in love. Now, why on earth is Paul telling us to bear with one another in love? Because we have to bear with one another. With all our weaknesses, with all our insecurities, with all our faults, with all our mistakes, with all our uh, issues, with all our sin, with all uh, what we have and what we bring, bear with one another in love. Why does he say to bear one another in love? Why? Why, Paul? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's that unity again. Endeavor, endure, persevere to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word peace is in the bond of being made one. The word peace means being made one. And in the bond of being made one, or let's keep the unity being made one of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the next statement is there is one body. Everybody say one body. Do you really, really believe we're in one, we're, we, we are one body? Like, really? Because when we're one body, and I'm not just talking about this is one body, this is one body, but the church of Jesus Christ, everyone that submitted themselves to the Lordships of Jesus and got born again, everyone worldwide, we're one body. God only sees one body. So I think it's about time the body shouldn't speak against the body. Like, I, you know, please hear my heart. I watched a bit of, I'm going to watch the whole thing, but the American Gospel uh, documentation. The first part was awesome. I love the way they presented the Gospel. Brilliant job. Well done. Fantastic. And then, then it started to attack the same body. Belong to the same body. I'm sorry to say that. You belong to the same body. I don't hear them attacking you. But you're attacking now people that operate in power and miracles and healing and so on. Why attack each other? You did such a great job with the Gospel. It's so powerful. It's brilliantly done. And it's, it's, it's not, let's not attack each other. And when you, like, I don't, I don't agree or maybe don't even believe on some of the expressions, the way some churches around the world express themselves. But I'm not going to attack them or speak negative of them. It's not, it's not my job. God stand, they stand before God one day. I'm not going to waste my time fighting other people because I don't believe the same. No way in the world. And neither should you. So we, we, do you understand? This is like, I'm just trying to help us see why is Paul saying this? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. How the one body, one spirit, one, you were called to one hope for the for a hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all who's above all. I mean, he's trying to say, guys. And then he talks about our differences later on. There's only one. 
If you really saw yourself as one body, then we won't speak against each other. Now, James chapter 3, really quickly. James chapter 3. This is James. You know, James was half-brother of Jesus. He, he grew up in the same household as of Jesus. And uh, James is powerful, powerful book, this book. And we're going to pick it up from verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, if I read that, I can read it at its face value and go, aha, see, Leo, no man can tame the tongue. It's impossible. Can't tame the tongue. The Bible says you can't tame the tongue. True, but again, don't take it out of its context. The Bible says no man can tame the tongue. It didn't say the Holy Spirit couldn't tame the tongue. Remember I said an unregenerated man without the Holy Spirit, without being born again, without the Holy Spirit living in them, the spirit that was dead died to sin. We repented. That old man died. I was crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. Now I'm alive. Now the Holy Spirit lives in me. That regenerated man, the person that has been regenerated, born again, raised from the dead. Now he, in that new creation reality, can live this life we're about to talk about. Absolutely can. But not, in, not without empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says, so it's, the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Remember that your tongue can be used for deadly poison. True? And it says, with it, this is really strong teaching, with it, with our tongue, we bless our God, the Father, and with it, the same tongue, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Now think about it for a second. I bless you, God. I love you, God. You're magnificent. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're in every way. You're magnificent. So please hear what I'm saying. I'm trying to, trying to show you how it looks in the spirit. Because obviously I just murmured. Uh, there's no intelligible words. I was trying to make a point to say, I bless you, God. I love you, God. And then we speak negative. And James says... Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. It, it shouldn't, it ought not to be like that. Out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing should not happen. Does a spring send forth fresh and bitter water from the same opening? If you're going to find a spring up in a mountain, you're going to find out, you're going to taste it, you think, oh, it's fresh water. You don't come the next day and go, oh, actually, it's not fresh water, it's salt water. And the next day, oh, it's fresh. It's not going to change. It's either fresh or salt. And it can't, fresh and salt can't come out of the same fountain. It's impossible. It's got a source. And if it's fresh, it's going to be, the mountain more likely going to be fresh. It's going to be salt, I don't think. But James is saying it's not going to happen in the natural. It shouldn't happen with our tongue. This is a source. Our spirit is connected to either God or another realm. It says once we've come to God, we come from this realm of God. We speak from Him. Okay, look what it says. Um, does this, uh, we read that, can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olive trees? Uh, olive, sorry. Can a fig tree bear olives? I wish it could, but because I love olives. But if a fig tree is a fig tree, it's going to produce figs. I also love figs. But uh, a grapevine, can a grapevine bear figs? No, it's like whatever it is in its root, it's going to produce. That's what it's trying to say. Whatever the root is, it'll produce the fruit. Right? Who is a wise and understanding among you? Let him show by the good conduct, behavior, that his works and behavior are done in the meekness of wisdom, the humility of wisdom. And now he goes on to say something. But if you have bitter, bitterness, envy, or self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and do not lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. Where does, it doesn't come from above. This wisdom doesn't come from above. Where does it come from? It's earthly. It's sensual, and it's even demonic. So if, again, please understand, if there's self-seeking, self-seeking means just you put yourself above God. You put yourself above other people. Self-seeking could just be, I'm so insecure, and I want people to like me. And so I want people to praise me. I want, people to I want people's praises and acceptance. So I can be so full of selfishness that that's all I care about. So there's going to be sensual, earthly. This wisdom comes from uh, earthly, sensual, even demonic. And do you know demonic, anything that's demonically inspired, please don't get scared about it, but it just means, to me, the, the demonic realm, anything where demons are involved, the, it, the, it's, um, the natural thing that happens is deception. In the demonic realm, there's deception that takes place. Now, how do you know that, Leah? Because the devil has authority over you and I only to the degree that we believe a lie. 
The moment you don't believe that lie is the moment you disempower the devil. He can only operate through deception. Jesus says, you shall know my truth. And if you abide in my word, you will know my truth. And when you know my truth, the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free from lies. If I believe a lie, then I'm bound up to the degree that I believe that lie. If I believe I'm, I'm not valuable, not that special, nobody loves me, God doesn't love me, I don't see myself as valuable, I see myself as, you know, just a piece of scum of the earth. If I see myself that way, I, I believe a lie. And the devil's going to lie and put shame and guilt on me because I don't see myself as valuable before God. That's believing a lie. And so, can you understand that when a person, when there's demonic activity involved, it means that there's deception involved as well. It's like I wrote down, being deceived is you don't know you're deceived or else you would not be deceived. The moment you know you have been deceived, you are no longer deceived. So a deceived person doesn't know he's deceived. You can't say, I'm deceived and I know that I'm deceived. The moment that you know that you're deceived, you're no longer deceived. True? All right. So, so look, it goes on. For where there is envy and, and self-seeking and confusion... So there's, so there's confusion and every evil thing there, where there's envy and self-seeking. I think you might think, but everyone's got self-seeking. Everyone's selfish. But no one's born again. Once you're born again, that selfish nature of you died. Now Christ is in you. I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live. Yet not I live, but Christ in me lives. Right? So, but where the wisdom that is from above, this wisdom that comes from heaven, this is the wisdom from above, is first, first pure then peaceable, gentle, which speaks of humility, willing to yield. That's a beautiful word. That's actually, some people translate that as submissive. If it is submissive, that's what it means. Full of mercy, good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Right? Beautiful. And it talks about peace again. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the book of Revelations, chapter 12 Verse 10 to 11, if you want to write it down. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them, accused God's people, before God day and night. The accuser of the brethren is Satan himself. The word devil in the New Testament, diabolos. In the Greek, it literally means accuser. The word Satan that the Old Testament uses when I wouldn't translate Satan. Um, Satan came uh, to present you know, at sons of God with Job, and Satan came to accuse Job. That word Satan means accuser. The very name of Satan, the very name, is no longer Lucifer, who was a beautiful angel, is now accuser. That's, that's when you say his name, it's accuser. Accuser. Think about it. That's his nature. His name determines his nature. That's what he's like. So that's what he does. He's an accuser. He's a diabolos. He's just accusing people all the time. Now, Satan would love for him to get a hold of a believer and use our tongue to accuse each other. He would love it, but it's really, really hard for him to do. It's not actually easy. Very hard assignment from Satan. I'm telling you, it's a hard assignment to get a believer to use his tongue to curse and speak negative. Very hard for him. But Satan's quite, he's been around for 6,000 years working with man at least, you know, here. And so he knows, I can't get him over and I can't just poison him. I can't just go bleh, drink this poison and speak this. So it's not that easy. So he, he'll try little by little, try little by little. He'll take... Months, he'll take years. I'm saying for some, he'll take 15, 20 years. I've seen people walk with God and been on track for a long time, 20, 30 years, and eventually little things. It's a little bitterness, it's a little hurt, a little this, little envy, little this, and it's a little negative, it's a little bit. And before you know, it can't get you like that. Before you know it, you've got to be careful, you could fall into negativity. It happened to me as a baby Christian. So, so, and, so and sometimes you could be a, a discerning person. A gift of discernment. In other words, it's on you by God. You've got a gift of discernment. Be careful. The enemy doesn't push you to one extreme and then you fall into negativity. Because a gift of discernment means you see things all the time. Prayers and intercessors, same thing. So when I was in my first church, I got saved in this church at the age of 19. I, 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 I was there for three years before I planted out. I had to learn some things really, really fast. Not, not, I, wasn't, I didn't feel like that. It's just what God was doing. God was teaching me things really, really quick. So I, I would be at the back of the auditorium and then my pastor's preaching and I get my notebook. No one told me to do this. I just wanted to learn. I'm thinking, I'm going to learn how to preach because no one is really mentoring me. 
So I write down, he's doing this, he's doing that. That's a really good idea. I should do that. Make sure I say this. I may be clear. Look at people's faces. They look at people's eyes. All the things that I'm learning. And then you start writing things that you could do better or things that I could do this. And he's not doing that or he's forgotten that. or you know, I start writing the negative things too. And then as a prayer, that was one thing that I was doing, but as a prayer, I mean, we were prayer warriors. We were intercessors. I mean, all the time. Constantly prayed in the Holy Spirit, tongues, constantly prayed. And so the Holy Spirit starts to show you things that you have to pray about and show you things that need to be worked on, show you things what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. So he shows you things that are wrong in the church. He shows you apathetic, people that are apathetic maybe, people that are uh, living in compromise, people that are living in sin. He might show you some things that, oh, the, the leadership needs to do more this and there's not enough prayer. All the little things he showed me. But I unconsciously, in my immaturity, would start to say, um, God's showing me this. We need to, I'm telling you this so we can pray. I always spiritualized it, letting you know so we can pray because we need to pray for this because this is what's happening here. And unconsciously, I started because I was insecure and a lot of things in my heart that weren't, weren't mature. And I wanted to show them how spiritual I was. So I was showing what I could see. By the way, pray about it. I'm just letting you know so you can pray. And so I basically, to cut a very long story short, I'm just trying to be honest and transparent what I went through. I became absolutely negative, completely critical. To the point that I couldn't see anything good anymore. One leader heard that I was being judgmental because words get around. And that leader, who was a deacon at the time, came to me and blasted me. I mean, really bad. It was bad. I mean, screaming at me, top of her lungs. And I'm going, for me to understand it, you have to slow down. I can't even understand what you're saying. Can you please stop screaming? She literally was screaming and I was getting, I got hurt. Went to a camp, thank God, and I heard the word for a whole five days. That probably protected me. But... It wasn't done well. And then another sister who did do it really, really well, we were at a prayer meeting. I started, you know, criticizing, judgmental. We need to so you can pray and all that stuff, all the excuses. And she just really rebuked me in a good way and says, Leah, I don't know, but I think what you've become, you just become critical. You just become critical about everything, judgmental about everything. Everything you say is just negative. And, and uh, it hurt me, she said in front of a few other people. I walked out of that house. It was a prayer meeting. I walked out and I said, God, if what I'm doing is wrong, I'm crying, right? I'm crying. I said, God, if what I'm doing is wrong and I have to stop this, I'm ha- I-, I-, I felt strong enough and convicted enough to say, I'm just going to have to stop it. And I'm happy to, if you want me to stop it, if it's wrong, if I have to stop this whole thing, negative thinking, critical, and everything I can think of is, everything I can see is negative. If I have to stop, I will. And I made this commitment, this surrender. Okay, from now on, I'm not going to speak negative. I'm going to speak you know, positive. I made a commitment to God. The next thought in my mind was, if I don't think negative, what am I going to think about? I literally thought, what would I think about? I had nothing positive to think about anymore. I'm talking about in the church and in the kingdom. And the next thought after that, I'm telling you honestly, was you might backslide. you got nothing to think about. you got nothing good to say. And I thought, would I backslide? But I made that commitment. And it took about two or three months later that God showed me revelation upon revelation upon revelation. Because I did it out of Faith, I did it out of enough revelation to do it, but I, I saw a scene all out the, throughout the Bible. Judge not lest you be judged, you know. To the degree that you judge others, you'll be measured back to you. And all these heaps of scriptures, do not, you, you reap what you sow. Just heaps of scriptures in the Bible. And it started to show me that giving it shall be given unto you. It wasn't just about money. It was also about judgmental attitude. It was about being critical as well as giving money. It's not just about money. It's about lifestyle. Given it shall be given unto you. To the measure that you give to others will be measured back to you. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to sow words of blessings. And I, and I made that commitment. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19 says, you can look it up. These things the, that the Lord hates. These things, and he names them. Someone telling lies. Someone, with a proud, someone that's proud and arrogant. Someone that tells a false testimony. And at the end, and he who sows a discord among brothers and sisters. Discord is like distrust, dishonor. And, and, and so the Lord hates it. And you look at Numbers chapter 12. I won't go through the whole thing, but the whole chapter, you can read it for yourself. The whole chapter is about a story of Miriam and Aaron. It starts with Miriam and then it says Aaron. And, and Miriam's, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And it says because, this is, what that, this is the reason, because Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And now, I don't understand the whole reasoning behind that, but I personally believe Miriam and Aaron believed it was wrong to marry an Ethiopian woman. Maybe, she, I don't understand it fully, but I do believe Miriam and Aaron 
The reason why it says that, because he married, if it, was, it must have been a gray area. It must have been, because obviously Jews had to marry within their um, nation and tribe and Jewish people, basically. And so maybe she must have been a believer, but she was an Ethiopian woman. And but, so they, they, they really, what I'm trying to say, they really believed they were right. They really believe what they're seeing in Moses is wrong. And they might be right. The problem is not if you're right. Because the next statement, they were right. They go, does the Lord really only speak through Moses? Doesn't he also speak through us? That's a true statement. Of course he doesn't speak for everybody. Moses himself said God wishes everyone to be prophets. And God wanted everyone to be priests. And it says, everyone come up to the mountain. And they go, no, no, Moses, you go up to the mountain. We don't want to go. They chose not to go up to the mountain. God wanted everyone to be able to hear God. True? So it's a true statement, but with the wrong attitude, with the wrong spirit. Think of the attitude behind it. Does God only speak through them? Doesn't he speak through us? So God came down and goes, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, come. Come to the tabernacle of meeting. The presence of God came with a pillar of cloud and speaks to them and says very clearly, Do I, I guess, to all the prophets, I speak with visions and dreams. To all the prophets, I speak with visions and dreams. But not with, with Moses, I don't. He goes, with Moses, I speak face to face and directly. To me, that's saying very clearly that if it was wrong, I would have told him. What he's doing, with, if you have a woman and married her, I said it's okay. And so that's, that's the correction. And so the Bible says, as the presence of the Lord lifted, the anger of the Lord remained. And she fell leprosy. She got instant leprosy, white as leprous. Aaron goes, oh my gosh, because he's close to this thing too. He thinks he's next. And he cries out to Moses, Moses, please cry out to the Lord. And so Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord pretty much says he would heal her. But he goes, if you spit into your mother's or father's face, you have to be outside the camp for seven days. Like If it's just as simple as that, this one's worse than that. So she has to wait outside for seven days. And the Bible says the children of Israel couldn't move on until she came back from her isolation. And she had to come back, and then they moved on. But God was quite serious about it. There's another quick story. If you want to look it up, this one is in um, Numbers 17. It's about Aaron's rod. It's all about rebellion and murmuring against leadership again. And it says, get everyone a rod, the 12 rods. And get Aaron's rod and get all the other leaders of every tribe and bring it to the tabernacle, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and put it there. And then come back a certain time. When you come back, see which one's budding. Aaron's rod sprouted with buds was fruitful everyone else didn't and God says this is to show you that was rebellion he's, he's showing people through a demonstration that that Aaron is the one that's fruitful See, it shows me that we're murmuring makes you unfruitful complaining being negative being you know that sort of stuff now another one quickly just want to show you in, in numbers 14 this is a, another really interesting one Verse 1 and 2 talks about they murmured and complained against Moses and Aaron. Do you know why they murmured and complained against Moses and Aaron in this particular point? This is when the 12 spies went out to uh, spy the promised land. And two of them had a good report, Joshua and Caleb. But 10 of them, they actually spoke what they saw. They just left faith out of it. They just said, it's a big, it's, it's, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there. I mean, we're, we're going to get killed if we go in there. We, we, like, we're like grasshoppers. When we see us in, in front of them, we're like grasshoppers, and that's how they see us. And it was very, very, the word bad report, negative report, I mean, sorry, evil report, you look it up, the actual word in the Hebrew means slanderous report. To me, it was a negative report without faith. And so it was so serious that God said, I'm going to do to you exactly what your words say. You said your children are going to die. Well, they're going to make the prom- they're going to go into the promised land, but you are going to die in the wilderness. You're going to die. We're going to wait a whole 40 years so this generation dies and the young generation will go in. All because of murmuring, complaining. Now, why is it such a big deal? Why didn't God say, it's fine, just stay negative, just be murmuring? Because it's the posture of their heart. It's a reflection of the posture of their heart. It's, a f- the fr- it's the fruit of the root of their heart. They couldn't go into the promised land because they wouldn't have been able to in that posture of their heart, full of unbelief. We know that in Hebrews, it was because of their unbelief that they didn't go in. So their unbelief to God, and, they became, and because of their unbelief, the fruit of it was murmuring, complaining. They sh- God said, you were the very generation I took you out of Egypt. 
the 10 plagues, the Red Sea splitting up in front of your eyes. Miracle after miracle after miracle, you saw my mighty hand. He actually expected them to trust him enough to go in. Yes, the giants, yes, there is, but God, God's almighty, God's all powerful. So that was pretty serious. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 31. I mean, tell me if it's, well, actually, we'll read, we'll read first, Ephesians 4, verse 29. It's in your Bible. Look at this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Let no corrupt, the word corrupt means decayed. Don't let anything that's decayed, anything that's corrupt come out of your mouth, but that which is to the use of edifying, building someone up. Like the, the gatekeeping on our tongue should be, is this going to build someone up? Is this going to encourage someone? Is it going to minister grace or is it not? If it's not, don't say it. That's the New Testament. This is like we've got we to allow God. And this is the next step was grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Because I believe our speaking grieves Him. Our speaking negative, our speaking cursing, our speaking uh, sort of slanderous, derailing or sowing distrust. Even if it's right or true, how you say it's important. And the Bible says in the New Testament, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. So definitely speak the truth, but do it in love. Definitely speak. The, uh, Jesus you know, came to bring truth and grace. So we are supposed to bring the truth, but do it with grace. Code it with grace. Code it with redemption, with hope and love. But if you say something that is true, and it makes people think, hmm, distrust, dishonor, it's negative, slanderous. That's why Jesus taught about if someone has a hurt against you, someone offends you, if they offend you, Jesus said, go to them alone. He never said you can go to talk to somebody else about it. If I talk to someone else about someone hurting me, can that person fix it? I'm actually spreading the hurt. I'm spreading disrespect to that person. So I go to that person in love and humility, again, truth and grace, and with love, sorry, and I humbly say, you have done such and such towards me. Did you know this? Whatever it might be. Let's say he stole money. You bring that. And if he repents and he humbles himself, you've won your brother, Jesus said. But if he doesn't, it says don't leave it there. So it's not that we don't speak about what's right and, ro- and things that are untrue, things, things that are wrong. You bring another witness with you. Go to that person and confront him about the sin. And if he repents and humbles himself and acknowledges it, you've won your brother. Fantastic. But if he doesn't, bring it to the whole church. And if he doesn't accept that everyone's saying, yes, that behavior is wrong and it should not be stood for and keep him accountable, if he still doesn't repent, then treat him as a heathen. Love him. He's just now not a part of the family. Still love him 100%. But now he's not a part of the family because he wasn't repented of. Imagine if we all did that in the church. Again, I've got to preach what Jesus said to do. I've got to believe if he said to do it, I've got to believe we can do it. I really believe that. I really believe we actually can do it. It's called honoring each other. But we're so quick to, you know, about our feelings. It's all about our own feelings. And I need someone to comfort me. I need someone to understand I've been hurt. And so we tell people I've been hurt. And it might have been really wrong the way they hurt you. But we're just quick to let other people come. And then we just keep spreading it. We don't even fix it. God's a God of solution. Just go fix it. Because if, if the problem is with that person, if that person didn't repent, and you go with another person, it still doesn't repent. The whole church it doesn't repent. Now you fix the issue because he's going to go hurt everybody. So it says in um, Philippians 2 verse 14, do all things without memory. Everyone say all things. If Paul says all things without murmuring or complaining or arguing. Some people say it's argue, uh, complaining. Some people say it's arguing. But do all things without murmuring, complaining or arguing. All things. Ephesians 4 verse 31, and this is about three, I've got three scriptures that I could read to you. Ephesians 4 31 says, Let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The word evil speaking is this um, word means blasphemy. We, I know we understand that between us blaspheming against God, it's speaking against God, but it's also blasphemy against a person. It actually means to derail, derail them, defame them, to speak against them, to speak negative against someone. That's what that word means. To blaspheme is to put someone down. 
Again, you can bring the truth and not put them down. Don't you reckon? You can say something that's true with an honoring, loving, helpful, redemptive way. Verse Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings. Lay aside all evil speakings. That word is defamation, backbiting, evil speaking, slandering. Right? And 1 Timothy 3.11 talks to um, the wives of leaders, I think it is. It says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers. That word slanderer is not diabolos. So I said, not a devil. That's the word we get a devil from. Because his name is slanderous. Second, I just want to read this. You can look this up in your own Bible. This is, I want to show, if I can, the seriousness of it. Because if you don't see the seriousness, you think there's nothing. I know we just heard a message about being positive and be, speak well. And, but we, God actually sees, yeah, Proverbs says he hates it. He showed judgment, you know, to Miriam and that. But do you know the sons of Korah? You know the story of the sons of Korah? That's the problem with Siri. <laughs> Happens all the time. Trying to, get, trying to um, look on the web for something I said. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Sons of Korah gathered in distinguished people, leaders of the tribe, 250 of them, and grabbed them and went against Moses, against his leadership. Remember Moses is one of the humblest people on the planet, and it's still... They're attacking him. And the accusation was, you brought us all the way from here, from Egypt. This is enough is enough. You, it's all about you. You just want to be a prince and a leader over people. They actually addressed Moses saying, you're trying to just get this leadership prince, you know, as a prince and a leader. And they, and they, and they accused him of stuff. Because Moses responds and actually says, I've never taken anything. I've not even taken a donkey off them. And I've never done anything wrong. Like He, he speaks up. And 250 is a lot of people. And if you know the story, God talks about the, uh, to get um, a censor, put fire in it, bring it before the Lord, all this sort of stuff. And basically, eventually, God says, tell people to separate from them. Separate it from them. And the, all the ones that God told them to separate, he separated. And the, he goes, Moses says, if the Lord is with us, he'll do something he's never done before. If the Lord is not with us, then they'll die a normal death like old age. But if the Lord is with us, the ground's going to open. Imagine saying that. Moses said it before it happened. The ground's going to open up, you get swallowed up. And fall into the pit. And it, the ground opened up and they fell. I just want to show you and I, I need to hear this. This message is for me. The seriousness of how God sees that. Because Old Testament scripture is for our learning, the Bible says. It's to look at it and learn from it. Now, just quickly, just to show you something. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. Think about it. God didn't even spare the angels in heaven. They're in the presence of Almighty God. They had a free will. And they disobeyed God, His presence. They sinned. God didn't spare them. It gives us the holiness of God and the judgments of God and the justice of God and the fear, reverential respect of who God is. It says, God didn't spare them that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah. God didn't spare the old world. And saved Noah, eight persons, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of ungodly. Now, in those days, it's a, it's a mixture of race. It's like, we won't go into it, but I, I, I believe the, the, the Nephilim, the, 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 they say we're mixing with the humans. And that's where the giants came from. But we don't know 100% about that, but, but the world was bad. The world was so bad, God made a decision, I'm going to wipe it and start again with eight people. God did that. And it says, and, all, and, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that are after should live ungodly, anyone that is ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly or the godly out of temptation, sorry, and to receive the unjust unto the day of judgment. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and this, this is what they do, they despise government. The word government is 
kuros, it's authority. Jesus is referred to as Lord. It's that same root word. Lord is supreme in authority. It's this word kuros. It's from that word. And these people despise people that are in authority. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Dignities is this word dox, doxa, which means glory and honor. People that have authority positions. These guys aren't afraid to attack or speak bad about it. Look at this though. Where, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. Even the angels don't speak against them, Peter says. And, and if you pick up Jude chapter 1, verse 5, similar words of another apostle. It's, it's almost the same, but it's another man writing this. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, you, you can establish a teaching, the Bible says. And he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed. Do you get that? God himself saved the children of Israel out of Egypt, didn't he? Mighty hand, right, I mean, mighty right hand, the Red Sea opening up, the place. He brings them out and brings them out of the bondage, deliverance. But because they walked in unbelief, because they started murmuring, was one of the traits of their unbelief, because of all that, it says God destroyed them and let them die and couldn't go into the promised land. It's supposed to bring not guilt, not shame, but a reverential respect of who God is. It says, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Same thing, the angels have fallen, and he brought him into judgment. Even, even as uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities among them, like manna, who giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and despise dominion. Same word, kurios despise authority and speak evil of dignitaries people in authority look at this but yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses does not bring against Satan a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuke you now picture this for a second Michael is the highest archangel he is the leader of the armies of the angels of the Lord Lucifer was one of the archangels. There was three of them. Lucifer fell from being an angel and became demonic and, and Satan. But Michael saying, not even Michael, who's this great powerful angel, would, when they were contending about the body of Moses. So we know that the body of Moses was put in a, in like, um, up in a mountain, hidden by the people. Why was Satan trying to get the body? Why was there contention about the body? Satan was trying to get the body to, to, to find it and there was a spiritual contention to get it because he wanted it so that people could idolize him and make an idol out of him. That's why Satan wanted it. I'm telling you now, I know 100% that's true. Why would you want the body after he's dead? You're going to do nothing with it except make an idol of him to, to make the people go astray. So it's a spiritual fight over it. And the Bible says Michael didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan himself. You think he would have a right to. You think surely you can just... Tell it as it is. Tell him, you wicked Satan, you're twisted, you're, you're this, you're perverted. All you want is the body so you can make oh, people idolize him. And, and he could have spoken, blah, 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 blah. But not even, angel, not even Michael would do that. Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. Because see, it's the kingdom culture of heaven. How does Michael stand before God and speak like that? Even though it's true. It's 100% true doesn't even need to do it it doesn't it won't work God uses our words to bless one another so if we do use cursing the enemy uses our words to curse each other to the degree that you curse through envy jealousy unforgiveness selfish ambition whatever it is we speak negative and derail someone to that degree you're, you're allowing evil spirits remember it's demonic that's what James said you're allowing that to work now I've messed up many times, so please hear this. Don't feel bad, don't feel guilty, don't feel shame. You have to live this out of revelation. So you, you walk towards, okay, God, I want to live right, I want to speak right. If you mess up, you get back up. Father, forgive me, I just spoke that bad. I was bad, I didn't mean to do that. Forgive me. And don't have a, a sense of guilt, don't have a sense of shame. I'm not saying that, I'm just saying let's strive for the way the Lord wants us to live as new creation realities. When I, 
I know I've gone long. But I want to show us the heart because something that's right, something that's truly wrong, it doesn't make it right if we say it in the wrong way. So you can say to someone, you can bring it to your boss, you can bring it to your leader, you can bring it to an elder, you can bring these things. Say, look, I, I, I see this, I sense this, I feel this. Bring it to them. And it should stay there, except you should pray. Pray that we see it. Pray that we would pick that up if we need to pick it up. Pray. But if we never apply what wisdom or, or what, see, what you see, or what direction you see, if we never apply it, you don't go talking to other people about what you see or what you think you see or what you think they should do. Unless you say it in a humble, respectful, honorable way and say it in a way, they say, look, in the natural, I think this should be, we should be doing this. But you know what? The elders are given by God to lead. They must see something I don't see. So that's, not that's not disrespectful, is it? You can say the truth. You can say what you think and see. You can say, I think they're making a mistake. Say that, but I mustn't see what they see. God told us to submit and trust. I'm going to trust unless it's clearly unbiblical. 100% don't obey us if we're walking in unbiblical. 100%. But the Bible says, do submit to elders. It protects you. But if we mess up, then don't. All right? Noah messed up, didn't he? After the flood, the Bible says he, a vineyard was, he'd grown a vineyard, he made wine, he drank, and he got drunk. It doesn't, say to do, it doesn't mean that you can get drunk. It's just showing us his faults, showing us his sin. He got drunk, now he's naked in the tent. Ham... His youngest brother walks past, sees his dad nakedness and looks. <sighs> hey, Shem, Jatheth. It's a hard name to say, Jatheth. Jatheth. Dad's naked, man. Come, dad's naked. And the, you know what they did? They got a garment. Together, they put a garment on their shoulders. They walked backwards into the tent. The Bible says they didn't look once at his shame, his nakedness. What are they doing? Love covers a multitude of sin. And so he takes the garment and they didn't even look and covered him. The Bible says when Noah woke up, he knew what his younger son did and spoke curses over him and said, you'll be a slave. Canaan means humiliation. The actual word Cain. His name was uh, Cain. Ham means, yeah, he became the father of Canaanite. But it means, Ham means, thank you, Ham means humiliation. Shem means honor authority and character, nobility. And Jephthah means enlargement. So Noah prophesied over that because of their attitude. And I've run out of time because I wanted to share. I think, so when you, when you tell someone, let's not speak negative, let's not speak, you know, dishonoring that. It, it's almost like there's a vacuum there, but God fills that vacuum with thankfulness. Thankfulness. I'll tell you why, because Paul says in the last days people will be lovers of themselves, do, 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 and one of them was thankless, without gratitude, never giving thanks anymore. Thankfulness is connected to, um, the Bible says, in our prayers, we, we, we offer unto God supplication with thanksgiving. Paul says, I thank God all the time for you all. I thank God always. And then it says, um, be thankful always, for this is the will of God concerning you. And the next statement is, quench not the Spirit. Be thankful always, for this is the will of God. And there's just so many scriptures. I looked it up, looked it up. There's so many. Giving God, offering up the, the, the praise, sorry, offering up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to His name. There's something about thankfulness that keeps you positive. Because when you fall into negativity, you don't see good anymore. The other day, I haven't thanked God for my sight for such a long time. I can't remember the last time I did, but I said, thank you that I can see, Lord. I can see. If you lost your sight, you all the money in the world. Somebody said, I'll give you a billion dollars, but you want to lose your sight. I don't care. I want my sight. So I want to be, I want to be as appreciative if I had a billion dollars because I've got my sight. Saving my health, peace of mind, love in my heart, Holy Spirit, Jesus, my family, my wife, my pillow, my blankets, my bed, my food, my food. Everyone say food. Everyone loves food. Just being thankful. It keeps your heart full of praise. I can't explain. It keeps your heart full of that place of, I'm going to be thankful for what we do have, even in this church. Be thankful for what actually you do have. 
You can get so negative. You can get, I'll say, you can get so negative that you can actually complain that we're too much of a huggy church right now in this season because of coronavirus. And I just said that online. Because we love each other so much. But we do it with air hugs, some of us. But what I'm saying, you can be negative about that. We're going to do a thing. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us because I need to hear this. And, I, and, and whenever my mouth tries to curse and speak negative without honor, I want to catch myself. And so if I can ask, ask you to be, the Bible says, judge your hearts to make sure you're of the faith, that you're not a reprobate. Remember, a deceived person doesn't know they're deceived. If you know you're deceived, then you're no longer a deceived person. So if we've fallen into negativity in any way, shape or form, Say, Lord, help me deal with this spirit. Help me learn to speak well. I'm telling you, I believe this with my heart. The moment the church speaks well, 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 the presence comes. We're going to do it in a second. The presence comes. God takes your words of your commanded blessing because we speak truth in love. So can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the standard of heaven, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in heaven, all they know is honor. They prefer one another. They honor one another. They they encourage one another. Lord, in heaven, that's what we do. We lay down our life for one another. Love thinks no evil. Love believes all things. Lord, Paul said when we pray, cast all our cares upon God and then with thanksgiving let all our requests be made known to God and then the peace of God will rule our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus it says whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is praiseworthy whatever is of honest report Lord if there's any virtue if there's any anything of worthiness think on these things Father help us right now in our hearts we repent of any criticalness any judgmental attitude where we put down other people publicly or only speak of negative things and never speak of positive things Father we ask you to help us we repent of it right now just, we, not, not with shame not with guilt but just with thank you Lord for showing us you want us to live a, a higher level of honour you want us to live a higher level of value for one another you want us to live a higher level of the way you see us made in the similitude of God the image and likeness of God we don't want to bless God and then bless curse man Lord, we want to bless God and we want to bless mankind. Everywhere we go, Lord, in our workplaces, in our marketplaces, in our families, help us to speak well of each other, Father. The way we speak well of over our children, Lord, we speak well over each other. We ask you, Father, help us. Holy Spirit, thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.